All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Wally and Mathot Show. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Welcome to the Wally and Mathot Show, everybody. I'm Brent Wallace. He's Mark Mathot. This is brought to you by sportsinteraction.com slash Wally Mathot. Go to sportsinteraction.com and get in on all the action. They are Canada's odds maker. Uh, Math, before we get into the show, uh, all the news that broke on Wednesday and on Tuesday of everything that's gone on with the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't... I, I don't have a lot to say about it because I wasn't there and I'm not involved, but what I have seen from Chris Beach, uh, I, I can't even fathom of what he has gone through for 10 years. And I can't say enough of how much we support him and what he has done. The investigations that have been done by Rick Westhead and Katie Strang and other people that are in Chicago as well. I don't want to forget them. Um, has been mm-hmm. phenomenal reporting as a, I'm going to say as the NHL and the Chicago Blackhawks have tried to bury this for as long as they can. And it's come out. It is uh, unfathomable how this all played out. Uh, as a player, I guess, can you, I don't even know how to ask you, can you tell me about what that's like maybe to have to gone through? I I don't even know if you've seen anything like this play out. No, I I think (laughs) the biggest takeaway, you said it best right there, Wally, the courage that it took for Kyle Beach to come forward, do that publicly the way he did is is monumental really. And it's going to, you know, you like to think at times that the league's changing and that the culture's changing. And of course, this was, you know, 11 years ago, but really isn't that long ago, right? So obviously the hockey community's in, in shock right now. Um, I don't know how you move forward other than put the focus on Kyle Beach right now. You know, what he did was incredible. I watched the interview. It was gut-wrenching to listen to. It was hard to listen to as a player, especially. And I was playing against them. Like, I was... 
in that same division as Chicago. Not that that makes a big difference here, but, you know, we're playing every other night against that team quite a bit. And, um, you know, you have no idea, right? Like it's such a, it's such a crazy, horrible situation. And, and, you know, he's handled it as best he could and props to Rick Westhead, obviously doing fantastic work there. And Katie Strang, as you mentioned, getting involved and in, in uncovering the story. So how, how do you comment on something so awful? I, I don't know what to say other than, you know, I think as a hockey community, we need to rally behind people when they come forward like this and uh, provide support for them. And deservedly so. I think there's more fallout still to come. And, yeah, you know, one of the problems where does I have... It, where Matt, does it go? Where does it well, go, Wally? Like at this let's point, find right? out. Like and and yeah. that's one of the things I don't like to comment on too much until we see more play out. But for Same. them to say that the Chicago Blackhawks got a $2 million fine and that's it, that one's tough for me when I think of all the stuff that's happened where other teams have been fined or had to lose draft picks like the Arizona Coyotes. Like the $2 million fine is a nothing. It's like a $5,000 fine to an NHL player. It doesn't mean a lot. So yeah, I think there needs to be more done in that particular area. Um, I agree. The one, pro I shouldn't say the one problem, Jonathan Taves, comments make me feel like players still don't get it. And that's a yeah. problem I have. If you listen to his comments where he says, you know, Stan Bowman is not directly implicit in this. They had a meeting with Stan Bowman and they had a, it, all those people that were in that office. So mm -hmm. that, that's, I have a tough time. I, I don't understand. Like I'm a huge Jonathan Taves fan. I think he's done tremendous work for a lot of different things and charities. I, this one blows yeah. my mind that he's trying to defend the Chicago Blackhawks management for this particular incident. Yeah. And these are, these are so uncomfortable, these conversations, yes. right. And they're meant to be, of course they have to be, that's the only way you get any progress. But I, I, when I say that, like we talk about Jonathan Taves and his resume, which is, impeccable of course and he's always been known as having a fantastic uh reputation and um you know i know that he, when he was captain he was very young that doesn't absolve anybody from anything I, I i saw the statement as well you know we were going over it earlier wally and i yeah i don't know how to i don't know how to approach this i don't know what to say or do i mean uh, you know we can start pointing fingers at people for sure and people do need to own up to their mistakes but I don't even know where to begin. I mean, this is, this is a, this guy, this has so many people involved and a lot of these people that are, that were involved or that were there at the time have branched out and are on other teams now. And it's like, it's just a big fucking mess. Like, I, I don't know how yeah. you handle this. I, I yeah, don't know what to do. People losing their jobs pales in comparison to what yes. Val Beach has gone through oh, for 10 years. A hundred percent, man. And I couldn't imagine like, being no. in that position, like from a player's perspective, you know, like, You'd like to think that you would handle something differently if, when you're presented in that situation, you know, when you look back, but like when you're in the, when you're in it and, you know, perhaps your livelihood is at stake, like there's a lot of different stuff happening there. And, yeah. and for him to come forward now, the way he has, I can't stress this enough is remarkable. Like the, the courage that that requires to come forward and tell your story publicly, your face in front of the camera for as big as it was. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, man, I, I feel for him. Um, I just hope everyone, and I believe, you know, everyone has been behind him now and there, there's a ton of outpour of support for, for Kyle Beach. So again, I, I, I don't know how the league is going to handle this. I can only speculate, but I, I have no idea why. Uh, the one thing I, it's interesting to point out, I think, is Kyle Beach did this on a television screen in front of a camera, not in a yeah. newspaper where a lot of people tend to come out so they don't have to look right, right on camera and all that reaction. I, yeah. that to me, it says so much more 
about trying to now come out and, and publicly want to be, you know, helping to solve or resolve or making sure that maybe this yep. doesn't happen again. Uh, again, I, I know we've said it over and over, but cut for, for Kyle beach, this is, a, this is huge. I, I, I can't imagine the number of people that he has impacted uh, because of what he's done. It's huge. Uh, leave it at that. Uh, by the way, in our show today, Ray Ferraro is our guest, of course, the TSN and now ESPN analyst. We did the interview the day before this story broke, so we don't have a reaction from Ray Ferraro in this. Uh, so just I just wanted to point it out as you listen to the interview. Uh, anyway, as we try to move on in the show, tough day for the National Hockey League. Uh, hopefully there's more to find out about this and to see. I, you know what, Matt? I actually have one more question. Joel Quenville, uh, who was denied knowing anything and now has come out. Basically, yeah, he was in the meeting. And at, Should he be coaching another team in the National Hockey uh, Like, if he's in Chicago, this is not even an issue for me. But now, yeah. what happens? I don't know. I, I'll say this. I Because I, I'm not... I like to get all the information, which of course yeah. we have a ton of information now, so I don't jump the gun here, but in this case, how do you not, right? Like how, from what I understand and based off that interview, everyone understood what was going on. I mean, it was yeah. pretty common knowledge and you've had multiple people now come out and say that. So to suggest that he was unaware, but again, I I'm only assuming, right. And should he have been coaching last night, Wally? Yeah. No, no. Like at least, at least step aside until you have a conversation with the commissioner and things settle a little bit. Now, I don't know how they settle after news like that. That's the only thing, but, right. um, but to answer your question directly, no, I don't think he should be behind the bench until at least more information comes forward. And we can all assume safely based off that information that, you know, he wasn't involved or, or wasn't aware of what was happening. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, this is, it's so messy, man. I, yeah. I don't even know what the right answer is other than yeah. I think everybody involved should step aside until more info comes forward and they're cleared of that. Yeah. I, it's clear. There's more to come. Uh, we will yeah, follow the story exactly. along. Uh, but now to our show, uh, which yeah. seems to pale in comparison, but we will get on to the headlines uh, built yeah. by Bonisher Excavating Inc. BEI go to Bonisher excavating.com. Uh, they are helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. Uh, first up road tripping, uh, I, that's an homage to Craig, by the way. Um, the Sens go back <laughs> on the road for their first road trip of the season. They are in Dallas. We'll get more on that in a sec. Special agent Eric Brandstrom changes agents. Uh, should he be changing locations and being in Ottawa? Bobby Big Wheel, uh, Drake Batherson gets the hat trick the other night. And Lone Star, mm -hmm. uh, which goalie do you want in an elimination game right now? Which one of the three Sens goalies would you put in net? And that includes oh. a healthy Matt Murray. Oh, yeah, no, you're not I don't, ask I me don't, that. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear. I hate that question. We're asking it anyway. Uh, okay. Here we go. Uh, road tripping. So the Sens uh, on their first road trip of the season, really their second road game, but they're on a three game road trip. You go to Dallas, Chicago, Minnesota. Yep. Uh, DJ Smith made a point yesterday, uh, Wednesday of saying, listen, we need to figure out a way to win on the road. Uh, how hmm. bad are they on the road? The Sens are the worst road team in the National Hockey League since the 2018-19 season. 104 games, they've won 27. Uh, math, for yeah. you, math, that is 30%. So yeah, <laughs> uh, it's not good. And I'm wondering what they need to do to fix it to start to win on the road. Well, there's, there, there's a couple things happening right now, right? So first of all, the obvious, you don't have last change on the road. So um, right. at home ice okay. advantage is gone. Right. So no, no, but, 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 so that's a credit to DJ and the coaching staff, right. So that they've managed to get a little bit more success at home, line matching, 
setting the guys right up, obviously working the crap out of Thomas Shabbat <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and some of your top yeah. lines, of course, overplaying them. When you're on the road, you don't have that luxury, right? So you're having to manage your, your bench accordingly. And you're going to have to have guys out there sometimes that maybe don't necessarily belong in those high risk situations that are in a, in a situation where they're doing a D zone draw off an icing play or whatnot. And they're very, they're very vulnerable. So this just to me shows a lack of depth that you have in the team, right? And that that's something that they're obviously going to have to address over the next season or two. You look at these road, like, like uh, Dallas is one thing uh, that's, that's a winnable game for me. I haven't been overly impressed. I hate saying this. I love the Lone Star State. I love Dallas, <laughs> but they haven't been that good. Minnesota is going to be a big test. Like you look yeah. at those top two lines, they're legit. Their back end, their back end is legit too. They're really good. That's going to be a great, uh, a great test. Now I say all that stuff. I said that against the Rangers. I said that against San Jose <laughs> and I thought Ottawa played great against them. I yeah. did. I, I thought they, they really, they're really much, they, they've grown a lot since last season, Wally. They're a much better hockey club. So they've been, they've been proving me wrong. And now there was an epic collapse in that New York game, but that was avoidable. So forget about that. They can handle these teams. The test will be on the road, having the last change, or excuse me, ha having to change first, not having the last change. That's going to be difficult. And then, of course, their goaltending. So basically, you're saying Thomas Shabbat plays 40 minutes a night in Dallas. Well, and that's and 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 you know, it's funny because Ian brought up. I read it was a really good little article about whether he they should be splitting up Shabbat and Zub. I found that very intriguing. I don't think you should. Sorry, you have your finger up. That well, I was something. gonna wait till we got into Eric Brandstrom and whatnot, but if you want to ruin the headlines, go ahead and do no, what no, you no, no. Do. yeah. Let's focus on the road trip. No, this is important. So the road trip, no, that's fair. That's fair. I like their like two of those three games are winnable for yeah. sure. The Minnesota game for me, not so much, but you never know what these pesky sends. They're completely capable of doing so. Um, but we got to remember that when we projected them before the season, they were barely making the playoffs. They're gonna have to lose some games here. So I don't want anyone pinning you and I as bad guys when we think they're going to lose any given night because that's, quite frankly, the way this works when you're rebuilding a hockey team. See, and I think Chicago is the trap game. See, I, they're going into oh, Chicago dude. right now. That's a team that's in an absolute mess. Mess. And, but they've got guys who are out. I think six guys somehow with COVID protocol no, no, no. or whatnot. I think they come back. This is a team looking for a win, and that's yeah. the trap game. That's what and I'm that's, thinking. But see, making that prediction, there's no like, you know, like it's an easy prediction to make right. because th there are no repercussions, right? Like you're playing with house money. And if they win, well, they should have won the game. You can't. No, no. Don't call me out for this. I've I've, <laughs> I've tried to just slide that through. Damn it. It's all good. No, no, no. But to, to listen, to a degree, I do yeah. understand where you're coming from. Like that, that is a trap game. Like when you have a team struggling and it's the done. A complete dumpster fire of an organization at the moment yeah. um you know they're very unpredictable so and when you have a lot of hl guys that are in the lineup and they're trying to prove something you're right there there's potential there for a, an upset but uh, that to me the dallas game also a winnable game i think they should the, the goal this trip is to win two of those three games and dallas and minnesota are the ones that are prime for picking all right I, i'm going to point out some some history historical stats sends in dallas now i the only issue i have with that is teams change from year to year so they don't necessarily mean something but sometimes there's patterns sure um the sends have lost two straight in dallas six of nine and they're eight and 13 lifetime in dallas uh okay the last time the sends won in dallas march 5th 2018 you're in the lineup oh yeah yeah the dallas starts 
Yep. That's, that's I remember how long the game. Ago it was. Yeah. Well, there you go. So they're due. <laughs> you say you remember the game. Would anything happen? Uh, no, I remember tangling with Pager with Pajot at net front. Oh, he gave yeah. me a little cross check when he was the little rat was coming around from behind the net. And uh, I was in the second period and I, I, I felt bad. I gave him one of the hardest cross checks I've ever given somebody in my life right down on his lower back. And that was the end of that. So uh, that was the only significant moment of that game that I can like legitimately remember. Yeah. Is this why he doesn't come on our show just yet? No, no, no. Me and Pedro are tight. He came to my wedding. I went to his. Uh, we were always close. You can't. He's he's the kind of guy you can never really get mad at. Like he's just happy go lucky. I'm sure you guys are well aware of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, but on the ice, you know, it's prison rules. Uh, did, was there ever a comment after the game or a joke? No. Oh no, right. I didn't. I didn't run into any of them. Yeah, I wish I had a funny story there, but there's nothing, Wally. Well, we'll get him if try to get him on the show then. All right, that's okay. your assignment. Oh, we'll get him on. We're gonna get him on. He's just, you know, he's busy. He's playing hockey right now, so <laughs> it's all good. Uh, topic number two: special agent Eric Brandstrom. So he changes ah. agents, which I'm going to ask you about. Uh, Here we should go. he be changing locations? Should he be in Ottawa? There's lots there, and you brought up, you know, uh, Ian Mendez's article about splitting up Z- uh, Zub and Shabbat. We'll work this all in. Let's just talk about the D. But first, Eric Brandstrom's mid-season switch what does Mm. that tell you uh the mindset is right now for that defenseman well okay let's let's address the agent thing really quickly first and get that one out of the way when you change agents in a situation like this pretty common you're just looking for a fresh face to represent you to go back and forth with the organization because you know the last agent probably starting to fall on deaf ears a little Ottawa's constantly calling and trying to get a point across that brandy should be up or whatever and you look for a change of scenery. That's how you do it as a player. You get a new agent to represent you. And that in hopes that, you know, maybe there's a different tactic involved. That, but see, I, I look at that and it, it only means so much, you know, why would he change an agent now? Is it because he's preparing for the summer or it, is he just angry that he belongs, that he thinks he and believes he belongs in the NHL right now? Those are the questions, right? But you look at his numbers, Wally, like if you're, because this, this happens to a lot of players. He's not exclusive in this department where, well, he's, he's a fringe player that, in his mind, he believes he should be in the NHL, starts off in the A. Like, I, I've went through that for two, two years in a row. After playing and finishing 20 games at the NHL level, following season in Columbus, I start off in the American League. I thought I should be in the team, but I wasn't. And I didn't play well enough, I guess, in training camp to earn that spot. And so I've spent a lot of time in the American League that following year. So my point is, Look at his numbers right now. I mean, I know it's only been four games. He's got no goals, no assists. He's like minus five. He's not exactly knocking down the door to get called up, right? And it's not like, and that says a lot with the current thin lineup on defense at the NHL level. So uh, I don't know how you want to follow up those numbers with an argument proving that he belongs up. I know the fan base is eager to have him up here. Wally, I'm at a point now, I'm thinking like, just call him up and be done with it it'll shut everybody up give him five games throw him in the fire see how he plays he plays while he sticks if not you send him back down but i know it's more complicated than that but i'm sick of these eric Branstrom debates i really am like i'm sick of talking about it just call him up and get it over with and let's see how we can do okay fair enough so i have a couple of points to that one is the other night he does it's uh, five games zero points 
uh, in game four, I think it is, he got cross-checked basically high. The, the guy ended up with a pen. He hit the ice and lost three. Either the stick caught him or he hit the ice, lost yeah, three Yeah, I saw that. He did play last night, so I give him some credit for coming back into the line. He took eight stitches. Um, the Eric Branstrom debate isn't a debate if the six guys or seven guys in Ottawa were all playing well. And that's the problem, right? So, so if, yeah. And, and they've... So and, and Eric Brandstrom has been oversold to the Ottawa fan base. They have been sold yes. that he is the next coming of Eric Carlson and that he is. That's all. Swedish, yeah, that's a little left. dramatic. No, I'm, <laughs> I covered him arriving in this trade and I went oh, to right. Belleville oh, you to mean watch like, him. Sorry. Like, you meant like initially, initially yeah. when he came. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like this is, this is the guy Like we got Eric Brandstrom who's going to be just basically Eric Carlson. He's the same size. He's going to fill out. He's going to be, oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, well, he's not. And so now the expectation level on Eric, Eric Brandstrom is so high that it's tough for him to even just try to work his way in without, if he doesn't have a three point night, people are like, well, where's Eric Brandstrom? And when he's not playing, people think, yeah. well, he should be in the lineup because he's going to be Eric Carlson. So somehow yeah, well, they've got to figure out what he is, but I, so uh, we've missed a couple of points here. I'm not of the assumption. I don't think he necessarily should be in the Ottawa center lineup. I don't think he's uh, ready for the NHL game. And I'm not sure if he's ever going to be that guy ready for the NHL game. Switching okay. agents tells me, I think he's looking for a change of scenery that doesn't have an Ottawa Senator logo on it. And you could be right. Here's a good question for you. Um, Cause I know there's always an argument that he belongs up here. Um, yeah. If the team's on the road, so you've got, you know, you have to, you've got first change or whatever. And Thomas Shavad can't play. He can't go out there. Like he's, he's tired. He's too tired to go back out on the ice for a big, important draw. It's a one, nothing game against Edmonton or something. Do you trust Eric Branstrom in the D zone? No. In a one, nothing game with like 10 minutes left. Would you put him out there? No, no. And I see the statistical numbers of analytics that say he's, I've seen them generate too. stuff. I, know. I think I those are a little disingenuous because they were at the end of last year when the team was rolling pretty well. Yeah. Now I know yeah. you can, I know they're also individual stats. I'm all for this. And by the way, I want to make this clear. I'm all for bringing them up. I like, I'm at a point, as I mentioned earlier, I just, just, just get this over with this experiment. Give them, give them a short, you know, give them five games to prove himself or something. I don't know. I just, it's, but so okay. Wally, who do you take out? Who do you take okay, out? Well, wait a sec. You said bring them up for five games. You want to just, Give up five games, well, if you will. This is a team well, trying to win hockey games, and now we're saying, no, I know. let's experiment with the lineup. Well, you can't well, do it to okay. the guys who are in the lineup, though. Right. But if they're struggling back there, there's an opening okay. for it, right? So if you're if you're struggling with your bottom two pairs, because I don't believe splitting up – I want to I want to do address this, too. Yeah. I don't believe splitting up Shabbat and Zub is the right move. I just don't. I think that you have to think long-term here more than the short-term. And first of all, if you split them up, that's not even a guarantee that that's that little experiment's going to work any better. Right. You're going to make minutes much more difficult again for your your prized possession on the back end and Thomas Shabbat. And furthermore, if you're thinking long term, you want those two to develop good chemistry together. Now, I know they've had almost instant chemistry. But getting those reps in on a nightly basis is huge, especially for you know year two, three when you're actually starting to run for it. So, I don't like that idea where you just got to figure that out like Holden he can defend he's pretty good back there he's reliable so who's your who's a good who's a good partner for Nick Holden on that second pairing that's one of the main questions you have to ask I I we all know that Mete and Brown don't work and I didn't like 
you know, people were all over Brown for a couple of big turnovers last game. I didn't, I agree. It wasn't that great against New York made a couple of mistakes as well, but at the same time, it's like, who do you pair on that second pairing? And then who do you have on the back end? And then where does Brandstrom fit into the equation? All right. I think you just call okay. him up, Wally. You just bring him before, up. But before we make Josh Brown out to be the worst hockey player on the face of the earth. His numbers not, aren't that bad. Have you not had a bad hockey game where you've had a couple of turnovers at a lead goals? Like, and, that's, and that's what I didn't like about the reaction. Again, Twitter, I don't ever. The problem now is that we, <laughs> I feel like we, we base we base so many decisions off of Twitter reactions, right? Yeah. Like where these are some, this like and I'm on there all the time. I'm fitting into this group of pigeons on Twitter. I'm probably a pigeon too, but I'm saying, I don't know that that necessarily represents everybody. Right. So people like to complain. A lot of people pick up their phones in the morning and they go, what can I be angry about today? And that's what they do. Right. So, and sometimes I'm one of them too. So, you know, I, I think that we have to understand that, I've had games like that where I've thrown a pizza up the middle and now it hasn't happened often, but it has happened. And, and people were calling for my head. I think that people are looking for an instant fix back there. And quite frankly, you're not going to get it. Like we're talking about short term right now with some of these fill-ins that they brought in, they've got Del Zotto. Some of these guys aren't going to be in the long-term plans. You have to understand that it's not always going to be pretty this year, <laughs> you know? And once Sanderson rolls in, once JBD comes in, we were talking about some studs, Lassie Thompson, like it's going to come together nicely. So you can go for a short-term fix and go after a uh, maybe a serviceable bottom pairing player. What, but like, what's the point? You know, like, is it going to be a far cry from what we already have? Probably not. Like, you know what I mean? So I think patience is the most important word here. It's like, you know, it's not always going to be pretty. The team's going to get shelled some nights. You just have to accept it for this year. And in hopes that your other players that are coming up will be able to fill those spots and positions over the next couple seasons. All right. Uh, speaking of one of those, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, his first AHL, his first pro goal last night, he actually had a pair. So good for him. Yeah. Two of them. The yeah. Here's okay. I've always been under the assumption and I've watched this for years. It's tough to camp, come and stick uh, 18, 19, 20 year old defenseman right into the lineup. And I'm thinking of James yeah. Anderson. Absolutely. People always thought he's got to get some reps at the, at, you know, the AHL level or whatnot. Are we banking way too much on Jake Sanderson all of a sudden to yes. show up and be <laughs> Zub or Shabbat in the lineup here? All of a sudden, yeah. it's great, and he's plus twenty five by the three games into the season. Yeah, no, I. It's funny you say that because you know, and I'm guilty of it, right? Like where I'm like, well, yeah, you know, let's just wait. We've got Sanderson coming in. We have. You know, everything will just be fine. It's like, no, it's still going to take him probably a year or two at least to figure out. Like Shane Pinto is a good example to use, right? Where yeah. very mature for his age, but he still gets hurt. Is that because he's a young player that made a mistake or was that just a freak accident? That's debatable. But that's an example of a player that physically and mentally needs to mature a little more to understand the ins and outs of the games. Like you're playing against some really big, strong dudes now. And you're going to get thrown around if you put yourself in a compromising situation. So you obviously don't want these things to happen to any of the young players that are coming up, but if they do happen, would getting a little bit of seasoning down in the American league help that maybe, maybe a little bit, but I'm always in the belief that if you have an, a lights out training camp and you're out playing half the other veterans, you belong on the team. It's as simple as that. That's why you have tryouts. Yes. So, so, you know, I, do I think that these answers are coming in next season? Mm, uh, not necessarily. I still think if you have an opportunity, Wally, to go after a top four D-man and it's there, 
Yeah. I think you have to take it. I, I honestly, I do. I like who's going to be leading that. Obviously Shabbat's leading the back end, but you still need some more stabilizing guys. Holden is Holden is, is a guy for sure. But if you have an opportunity to go after a top four D man and it's out there and the price is right, I think you go for it. They have the cap space. They've got the assets at some point you have to make some uncomfortable transactions. Like you can't just hoard all your picks. You can't just hoard all your prospects, yeah. you know, and think that it's just going to develop perfectly over time. Right. So those are all very difficult decisions that, that Pierre's going to have to make, but you're right. I love that you bring that up. Sanderson not, isn't necessarily the answer. Like he's not going to come in and change the culture or the back end of this team. It's going to take a couple of years. Yeah. And I, I, I have no idea if Jake Sanderson is going to be Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes. I got, I, and, and he, I, and he, he might be, he, he may he very be. well be. But the, yeah. the typical progression isn't to be all of a sudden this dominant player that steps into college and starts Especially on throwing defense. up points. That's, yeah. that's all I wanted to say. Um, mm-hmm. uh, also, uh, do you like, have you ever had a four minute shift? <laughs> oh, you know what's funny? Uh, where were we? I was playing with Columbus and I was, I don't know what it was. It, we were having a pretty decent year, but we were playing in, in Philly. And um, uh, uh, was it uh, was it Gord Murphy? I'm trying to remember my D coach. But anyway, in any case, the, the game was ending and I was kind of pissed off. I don't know why I was mad, but we weren't doing very well. Um, and we weren't having a great game. And I had been, I think they had sat me earlier on. So there's like four minutes left in the game. And I'm like, F it. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to stay out there. This is my way of protesting. I'm just going to stay on the X. And I'm not an offensive D-man by any means, right? So it's hard to stay on the ice for more than two minutes if you weigh more than 230 pounds, which I probably did at the time. I, Wally, I'm not kidding when I say this. I think my shift was like three and a half minutes long. It was almost like farcical. Like like, like the, the bench was laughing at me and we were getting blown out of the water. And I stayed out there for the rest of the game. Coaching staff, nobody said a word to me. And I just went on my merry business. And, and I think if anything, the coaches appreciated it because no one said a word. And the next game, I was back to playing 20-plus minutes a night. So um, sometimes I can understand. Uh, in this case with Shabbat, there was a legitimate reason, and the coaches actually wanted him out there for that long. But, man, t- to play for three minutes and manage the puck the way he does and skate the way he does and do it several times is incredible. And that's like that goes back to our original conversation, Wally, like that, where you need depth because you can't rely on a player to play that much. I'm sorry. But that just that's going to lead to an injury at some point. I'm calling it now. If that kid keeps playing 30 plus, I mean, obviously he's not playing 30, but he's playing more than 27 minutes a night. Yeah. At some point, that can cause an injury. And you're going to get a little lazy. You're going to forget, you know, you're going to be out of position. You're going to put yourself in an awkward spot and he's going to get hit and it won't be nice. Are you forcing Thomas Shabbat to do too much if you're playing him 28 minutes a night where he feels he actually has to be the difference maker. Well, the so the argument to my point and to what you're saying is that he's not alone. Like there are other defensemen in the NHL that are playing more than 26 minutes a night. And I mean, yeah. I, I had them somewhere here in my little booklet, but I, yeah. there's like there's a handful of them, and you know, guys like Seth Jones, Latang, Makar, Drew Doughty, I uh, think is up there. Doughty, Doughty was up there. Um, Headman, Darnell Nurse. There, Darnell Nurse, yeah, another leader in the league. He's actually I think, yeah. top three. So once you look at those names, Thomas Shabbat is in that category. So it kind of it kind of buries the whole discussion about it because sure. I don't know that those teams are having or those fan bases are having those discussions as well. Um, we like to fixate on that, I think, because the decor is so thin here. But 
Um, you know, DJ was adamant last season that he can handle the minutes. And if Thomas Shabbat wants to play those minutes, he's a big boy now, potential captain on this team. If he had an issue with playing more than 26 minutes on average a night, he has to speak up and say that and verbalize it to his coaching staff. Otherwise, he's fair game. So that kind of buries that whole argument. Okay, we're going to, I feel like we're going to be here for the next half hour. DJ Smith has said each and every year, we don't want Thomas Shabbat playing 24, 25 minutes. And each and every year, Thomas Shabbat's played 26 minutes yeah, but, or more. But, but it's so, funny you say that because each and every year, DJ Smith also defends the fact that he's playing that much. Yes, like he I know. He defended it last year. So I don't know which way we're going. So I, he just says it. And then that this, he totally ignores what he says. Yeah, um, well, he's going to he's gonna defend it, Wally, right? Like he's going to defend well, that to, decision. For sure. And, and again, like I said, if other guys around the league are doing it, all the other top D-men are doing it, and t- they tend to thrive playing big minutes, I understand. Now, on a back-to-back, that's when you got to protect them a little more. But the problem here, as we all know, is the depth on D. And that can that's going to be an issue if they don't address it, especially when the games become more meaningful. I don't know that it's that. I don't know that that's an issue, though, this season. I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. Uh, moving on. Bobby Big Wheel. Uh, Drake Batherson, who is known as Bobby around the locker room, hat trick uh, the other day. Uh, He's a fifth sense player in five seasons. I have a hat trick. The other one's being Tim Stutzla, who a lot of people forget had one against uh, Winnipeg last year. Uh, Bobby yeah. Ryan, Anthony Duclair, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Uh, congrats to him, first of all. And if we've talked about him being, you know, potential 30 goal scorer, uh, you were at that game. Do you see enough uh, in Drake Batherson right now that you like as he leads the team in points here with six? Yeah, but it's not just Drake Batherson. I mean, I know we're talking about him right now, yeah. but that whole top line, I love it. Like I, that line alone brings people into the building. Like, like for me being, uh, you know, an analyst or whatever we're doing now, like I, like, I like to remove myself from being a fan, but I am a fan when I'm watching that line play the way they move the puck around in the offensive zone. And it's, it's the subtleties. It's the small 10 foot passes, ten, you know, dish and move, dish and move and getting it back in the puck control. And they're all big bodies. Like people forget and we, we saw him at our golf tournament. And again, big beauty in Drake Batherson for showing up and playing at the Walling Mathot golf tournament. Big uh, plug there. But I didn't realize how tall he was. Like, he's a big boy, you know? And yeah. so you have the three of them. Norris is a machine off the ice. Brady Kachuk is a tank. That's a big line, a big, heavy line that protects the puck really well in the offensive zone. So they use, their, they, they use puck protection along those walls so well. They're really good at making those little dish passes and then opening up space and getting to the net. And when you have a plow horse like Brady Kachuk that opens up so much room for them around that net front, he just kind of spreads, you know, moves the tides, if you will. And I, 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 I just hope they keep that line together. I know they will right now. I hope it stays together because for the next couple of years, they're only going to get better. Yeah. They're going to learn each other's tendencies even more. They're already there in my opinion, but they're only going to get better with age because they're still very young, as you know. So to me, they all complement each other. Great. That's a big reason for Batherson getting three goals, for example. And on any given night, when any of them are getting success, they just they're so cohesive. They they mesh really well. And uh, I think a lot of that is just the coaching staff being able to trust them now for a couple seasons playing together. It's going to work into their benefit. Here's why I think that that line stays together is because nobody's given them a nickname. And as soon as you nickname the line, it tends to always get broken up. So they, <laughs> they just have to leave it alone. If you take the yeah, initials, I don't even know what. Yeah, you get JBD. So I don't know if Jacob Bernard uh, Docker is willing to give that up yet. So no, um, no, there is no nickname. Maybe Craig will figure one out later. Uh, okay. So along those lines, you got Batherson with four goals now and Chris Tierney with four tied for the team lead. Norris yeah. has got three. Paul has two. 
Then Ennis and Formington each have one. 13 of their 15 goals have been scored by four guys. Is yep. this once again leading to one of the first things you said off the top, lack of depth? Maybe. Yeah, a little bit for sure. But again, we're talking about such a small sample size of games that this isn't really just exclusive to the Ottawa Senators. We're seeing it with a lot of other teams too, right? Where, you know, you've got a select number of players that are contributing at the moment, but that can change really quickly. So I'm not going to put too much weight into that. Um, you know, do I think they are thin? Yeah, of course I do. I mean, if they weren't, they'd be vying for a Stanley Cup right now, or sure. they'd be in the conversation, at least in the playoffs. They're not there yet. And there's a reason for that. They're thin. They're thin up front on those bottom two lines. They're thin on the back end on their bottom two pairings. They're thin in goal right now to a degree. There's an argument to be made there, right? Mm. That Those are the inconsistencies that I've been talking about. You know, one week, Matt Murray looks great. Anton Forsberg looks fantastic. The next week, you know, Matt Murray gets hurt. Forsberg looks really kind of shaky in those in that game where he comes in in a relief position, which, of course, was thrown under the bus. Then looks shaky the next game, too. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, we can we can we we're going to overanalyze this group every week. But at the end of the day, you got to focus in on those key pieces that, you know, are here long term. You know, the rest, quite frankly, is all filler until the rest of these prospects can come in and you can insulate the rest of the group with good players. So, you know, there's a lot going on right now, Wally. I think as, as, as a whole, we have to understand that this is all part of the process. They're not going to win a ton of games, but you want to see the good players progress and grow. I really wish you'd read the rundown before we start the show. Goaltending is the next topic, Matt. Just wait a second. Um, Sorry, man. So I was going to say uh, Brady Kachuk, <laughs> three games, zero goals. What have you seen about him? And here's my prediction. I know you're the smart yeah. guy in this show. I yeah. think Brady Kachuk drafted in Dallas – will score in Dallas okay. his first goal of the season. Oh, that's bold, but I like that. I like that pick. If there's a place um, to do it, that would be there, I guess. Um, but, you know, with Brady, I love the way he's played so far. He hasn't been a topic, really. Like, we haven't highlighted on him too much because, no. you know, he's kind of been back and forth. But that's a good thing. You know, he missed all the training camp. He's only He's still catching up here. He's catching up to the rest of the group. But he hasn't been a liability. So that in itself is huge. Like the fact that he's been able to come in and just kind of go back to business as usual. He's still engaging. He's already got a fight. He's, he's I, I don't know, how many, how many points does he have right now? I know he had a one in that first game. Has he had one since? Do we know? I got to look it up. I thought, I'm not, I can't remember. I'm putting you on the spot here, but in any case, none uh, of that matters. Assists. There you go. The point is, and those are, that does, that's not a big deal. The point is he looks pretty good and he's only going to get better. So uh, you know, when you miss that much time and you're catching up to the group, it, it's the fatigue, the mental fatigue. You're not used to the grind. You missed all the training camp. Your, your, your timing is going to be off a little bit. I think we're going to see him really kind of come into his own now. I think from what I understand, he felt a lot better in that last game and uh, his legs look better. He wasn't falling around as much. You know, Brady kind of slips and slides a little bit and he's on his knees a lot in the games. It's part of his shtick and his game. And so his style is play, but he was, you know, he, he looked better. He looked a little less tired in his last game. I'll say that. And that's only going to get better. He's going to start getting his wind and his conditioning back and a little bit more chemistry with his line mates. I'm not even remotely concerned about Brady Kachuk. You know, he is what he is. He's not a guy that you're, that's going to, that's going to score 40 goals, at least not now. You know, he drives that line in other ways with energy, finishes his checks. He's hard to play against a net front. He's doing those things right now. I've been very happy with his three games so far. Uh, Last topic, even though you wanted to discuss it earlier, which goalie do you want in an elimination game right now? A healthy oh. Matt Murray, Anton Forsberg, or Philip Gustafson? This is the one game you get into the playoffs. 
Who are you yeah. tapping? Well, I think I, I, I react a little dramatic there. I don't think it's a really <laughs> hard decision to make. I think Matt Murray's still your guy. I mean, and based off of what I've seen when he has been on, like in that, I can't say this enough. In that Rangers game, up until the epic collapse at the end, he was really good. He was good. You know, he, he and I don't say that lightly. He was he was tracking the puck really well. He looked very confident and composed. Um, so I, you got to go with Matt Murray. I, I don't think do that's you? a question. I, I, I think you do. And I, I mean me. that. I think, well, listen, you can go with Anton Forsberg or Gustafson. That's fine. But to me, based off of what I'm seeing now, had you asked me this question last season, I'd, I'd probably have given you a different answer. But I just, I love the way he played in, in training camp. I don't love the way he can get he can get hurt all the time. I don't love that. That's got to be really frustrating for the group because mm. it's like, you know, if you're a player thinking like, oh, here we go again, you know, he's hurt right. again. What's it this time? I hate saying that because I'm a big fan of his, but that's just the way players think. I'm sorry. But when you're putting in the time and you're grinding and you're putting your body on the line, blocking shots, doing work, you want to know that your goalie's got your back as well. So you know, you're, you start asking questions when he's getting hurt every off every so often. And that's just the nature of the beast in the NHL. So I still think Matt Murray's the guy though, having said all that, I got to be fair here. I don't think you can go with Forsberg and keep a straight face Wally, based off of what we've I'm seen not. so far, but let's, but let's hear it. Gustafson oh, is my guy. okay. Gus the bus. Okay. Uh, so I, I haven't liked the way Forsberg has responded a little bit here. Uh, and again, he, was never really pegged as this fantastic goalie. They picked him up off waivers. He bounced around the league. Yep. I like yep. the way Philip Gustafson has come along. And I think, yep. you know what? I would put my chips on Philip Gustafson to take to the net. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Listen, this is so debatable. And and these friggin' goalies, like I don't they're they're so weird to begin with and unpredictable that I'm not really I'm not an expert when it comes to this. We need to have a we need to have a goalie come on, like a Jamie McLennan yeah. to break this down because it's like my, 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 my reasoning and thinking is if you're a goalie and I'm the defenseman, I need you to communicate to me. I don't want you to be a mime back there. I need you to talk like, like Craig Anderson was good for that. Communicate because yeah. your partner's not always going to be there to do that and stop the puck. If you can stop the puck and you can talk to me, I'll trust you to be back there and do your job. Otherwise send somebody else in. Okay. Uh, last night I saw one of the strangest goalie issues i've ever seen uh i don't know what you call them but mannerisms uh this is a 14 year old because that's playing against my son he would yeah. skate every whistle to the end to the boards along the goal line with his blocker yeah. tap the line on the boards the goal line with his blocker he would just yeah. bend over and tap it and then skate back to the net i've never in my life seen this well some goalies some goalies do go back and forth yes, on they timeouts just and stuff. This yeah. Well, he's out there. Bent, Wally, Wally, he bent he's over a goalie. Tap. I, he's a goalie. I They're weird. It's bizarre. It's They're totally so, bizarre. Like, and, and that's a superstition. I guarantee you. That's just a superstition. He just does it because for him it works. And, yeah. you know, now in fairness, because I know I like to chirp goalies all the time, it's such a difficult and mental position, as you know, Wally, that like, yeah. they're all going to have their quirks. Like I remember some of the goalies that we played that I played with and some of the stuff they do like prior to the game in the dressing room. And they're, it's all timed. It's down to a science, their routines. It's like, you just stay away from them, let them do their thing. And, and, and don't talk to them. Don't ever talk to them. Like, don't try to get in their heads. Don't try to make them comfortable. Just leave them the hell alone and let them do their job. That's, that's what I've learned over my career. 
I can't remember right now. I don't think so. You didn't play with uh, Martin Gerber, did you? No. Yeah, he was different. And Archer's Urbe was. They're all different. And when you think that one's normal, he goes (laughs) ahead and does something weird. Like, like Andy, I love Andy was one of my best friends in hockey, right? Unbelievable goalie, pretty, pretty relaxed for the most part, but you couldn't really talk to Andy much on game day because he was so bloody serious unless he was a backup. Like you'd get two Craig Anderson's. The backup version of Craig Anderson was like this relaxed, like happy go lucky, like joking with you before the game when you're warming up. And then the, the playing version of Craig Anderson, no, you can't talk to him. You couldn't talk to him. And so, and meanwhile, Craig Anderson builds simulators and computers and like, he's just, you know what I mean? Like he's just, he's still out there. And that's a guy that I thought was more level-headed than most. So I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Funny, uh, Craig Anderson, by the way, and I meant to bring this up when we did the interview is uh, over the boards interviews, we always do with the players, right? They come over, they step onto the ice during pregame skate and uh, or warm up, and they come and chat. I, Andy did one with us when he was starting. I've never and never to this day I've ever had another goaltender, but the starting goalie <laughs> came over to do an interview. He's like, I want to try this. And yeah. I, we have a picture. Good for of him. Somewhere. Yeah. Good yeah. For Andy. Him. I love that. Anyway. Uh, all right. Those are the headlines. As always, I'm right. Uh, <laughs> coming up next, Ray Ferraro is our interview guest in the Whitewater chat. Uh, you're watching the Wally Mathod show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Wally and the Thought Show. Time now for the chat brought to you by Whitewater Beer. Go to whitewater, shopwhitewater.ca, uh, 15% off using the Wally Mathot coupon code. Basically, let's stock up for the hockey season, shall we? Um, to the pre-scout now, brought to you by BEI, Bonisher Excavating Inc., BonisherExcavating.com, helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. Uh, still waiting for a chance to go drive an excavator so I can pretend I'm on Gold Rush, uh, the TV show, if you haven't seen it. Uh, Ray Ferraro is our guest today. Played 18 years in the National Hockey League, 1,258 games. That, by the way, ties him with the pocket rocket, Henri Richard, for 83rd most games played in NHL history. 408 goals, 898 points. And he played for six teams, the Whalers, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Kings, the Thrashers, and the Blues. Uh, A couple of those don't even exist anymore. Uh, Three Mm -hmm. world championships, if I've got this all right. And then, of course, he's had a full other career as a broadcaster, uh, which started, by the way, at ESPN, and now he's back full circle with them again this year, the worldwide leader in sports. Um, he's also half of the show of Ray and Dreg's podcast, which is wildly popular. Uh, he does everything. He's also the voice of EA Sports Hockey. Um, Ray Ferraro, I, I, I don't have enough time to list it all, so just welcome to the show. <laughs> Wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, thanks, boys. It's been uh, – it's been uh... Look, I, I dreamed of playing in the NHL. I got to do it. And then I just kind of stumbled into this. You know, somebody said, hey, would you like to broadcast? And I'm like, yeah, but I hadn't even really thought of post-career yet, you know, and then it's 20 years. Like, I just, man, I can't, I can't believe it, honestly. <laughs> like, did, you did it while you were playing. You started when you were still a player. Yeah. Did anybody have any issues with you going on the air? Uh, well, nobody, not issue, but I heard. Yeah from a lot of guys while I was on the ice and like what one of my favorite stories was so I had a guy named Barry Sachs at ESPN was was really the he was a big Ranger fan he was the head of uh talent they you know the on-air people at ESPN too and I got traded from the Rangers to the island or the Rangers to the Kings and of course the Kings weren't in the playoffs and so he said hey would you like to uh come and broadcast I said well I've never done it he said yeah I think you'd be good at it but so you know, he'd watch me do a bunch of interviews. And so I started. So the next year we're in the, I'm playing and, 
there's a scrum by the Detroit Red Wings net. And if you remember Yuri Fisher, he was like, Yuri's yep. six foot five. He's a monster. And he's got me pinned over the back of the net. And, you know, I was probably like chirping away or like I was going to do anything, right? Like, what's he going to do? And so he's got me pinned on the back of the net and Steve Eiserman skates by and he says, hey, Ray, why don't you analyze that? And he just kept on going. And I was stuck on the back of the net till Fisher decided to let me off because I wasn't going to fight my way out. That's outstanding. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Yuri Fisher played in uh, Gatineau Olympic or the Hall Olympic, I think, at the time, uh, a long time ago, Major Junior. Uh Ray, where's the mustache? Like, what happened to the mustache? Uh, it's in the it's in the eighties, uh, right where it should stay. <laughs> and uh, it was a solid look, though, eh? Like, it's great. I, I I thought it was really great, and then I look back at some of those pictures, and I'm like, well, I, I guess it was okay, but it, it was. But so on our team in Hartford, though, like, like Joel Quenville was there, like best oh mustache ever. Yeah, yeah. And then Dave Tippett was there. You look at Dave Tippett now, and He's, you know, he's, he doesn't have a mustache. And so it's hard to imagine. Go back and look like, yeah. and, and, but the greatest mustache of, of that team was Dave Babbage. Like Babs, Babs could shave at nine o'clock and have a mustache by 1130. It was like amazing. So I was like on in fourth or fifth place, but the stash was a, that was a, I had a stash before, or I thought I did when I was like 17 and 18 but it wasn't really anything. And then I started again when I was 20 and I, I kept it for, well, till the goatee sort of became fashionable, I guess. Uh, so will you ever just cleanly shave then? I did for a while and I thought I made it, I thought I looked younger. And then <laughs> there's nothing that's going to make me look younger anymore. So <laughs> I, just I can't grew. picture Ray without a, without a beard. I don't even know what you look like without it. It's not good. It's not, it's not good. And now I, I think the best part of the beard is you don't have to shave. Mm. Like, honestly, I'm like, I think Cammy likes it, you know, like she doesn't say she doesn't, yeah. but I'm like, I don't have to shave. So like, I, well, I, I I'm a yeah, fan. Ray, when I, when I came on prior to the worlds and Wally obviously knows all about this too, but I was told immediately that the higher ups didn't like beards or stubble. So I clean, I was clean shaven for that. Yeah. Is that not something that was pretty consistent throughout TSN or is that just kind of depending on who's coming up? Well, well I, I don't know. Like when I started, so I was at Sportsnet and I, I must've had a goatee at that time. And uh, then I, in 2008, I moved to TSN and nobody said anything. So maybe they didn't notice. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't, you know, like, or you're, or you're just too valuable and they don't want to risk pissing you off. (laughs) We'll put it this. I was, I signed a one-year contract when I started. So I think Hmm. they weren't so sure. (laughs) They were like, let's see if you can get through the first year and then we'll see where it goes. (laughs) I was told either clean shaven or full beard, but I couldn't have it in the middle. So I'm trying to figure out how do I get to that point? Cause I'm always on camera within the first six weeks and I can't grow a beard. So yeah. I had to figure yeah, that. And, well, but hang on, six weeks. So if it's taking you six weeks, then clean shaven's the best maybe, choice. I was yeah. going to say, maybe yeah. a beard isn't for you. <laughs> so I, I came onto this, when we did the first couple of episodes, I didn't want to shave. Like, I don't want to shave anymore if I don't have to. And people sent like, you got to shave. Like, what is that on your face? You look terrible. So it's, I, it's either got to be right in yeah. or yeah, yeah, it can't be halfway. It's a bad uh, enough. By the way, uh, time now for Pearls of Wisdom, because you know who does Pearls of Wisdom. John Pearlberg. Uh, who does stats yes. for you. We get him on every show to help with our big guests. 
uh, and he breaks down the fun stuff that's happened perhaps sometimes in your career. So here now is Pearls of Wisdom brought to you by SportsInteraction.com. Go to SportsInteraction.com slash Wally Mathot. Get in on all the action. They are Canada's odds maker. Okay, your 408 goals scored uh, were on 124 different goaltenders. 39 of those goalies, let's just say you helped put in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, 17 goals scored on the greatest goalie of all time, if you didn't know. The most you scored was on Patrick Lewis. Uh, And then this is nice. my favorite. You once scored four goals on four shots in a playoff game uh, against Washington. Only two yep. other players in NHL history have scored four goals on four shots in a playoff game. Dino Cicerelli and Jean-Gabriel Peugeot of the Ottawa Senators. Wow, that good company. Is, uh, pearls of wisdom. So, okay, so the, the thing on Wah, we, we were in the same division. So we used to play eight times a year. Yeah. And I will say there was no goalie I liked scoring on more than, <laughs> than Patrick. A, because he was, you know, he was so great. And two, because I just, I don't know, I just loved like being a pebble in his shoe, right? <laughs> like I was always around the front of the net. And I just, I just loved, I honestly, I loved scoring on him. I mean, I love scoring on everybody, but he, he was a little different. I'd like to think, you know, the four goals was, uh, we, we lost six, four. I got all four goals that night. It was a, an amazing run in the playoffs, but um, you'd like to think you would have got another shot somewhere along the line. Right. Like I, but I didn't shoot a lot. I don't, you know, like Dino Cicerelli, Dino Cicerelli was a high volume shooter. Mm. Uh, JJ Pajot's, I wouldn't say is that that's not really, you know, his game is built around other things. I never shot the puck a lot, honestly, because I didn't have a very good shot. So I was close to the net. Um, uh, You know, my shots were mostly from five to seven to 10 feet. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was one year uh, I I led the league in shooting percentage. Uh, I had 27 goals on like 90 shots or 88 (laughs) shots or something like this. Brett Hull was second and he had 86 goals on like 7 million (laughs) shots. It was like, when you look at the two things together, you're like, one is not like the other. Right. But I just didn't shoot it a lot. That's That's weird that you think that you're not like, and then Gord always brings it up on every broadcast about how you scored 120, 120 goals in Brandon. I think like, how do you not think that, how do you not think that you're a goal scorer? No, I was a scorer. I couldn't shoot. <laughs> I, I just, I honestly, I really, I, I I'll, I'll tell you one thing that kind of grinds my gears a bit when I watch the players today is the ones that don't realize the goals, the money, like the money goal is right on the inside of the D. The hmm. problem is you got to go through somebody like Matt to get there. And some guys just aren't willing to do that because he's not going to let you get there and you've got to yeah you you've got to view that real estate as it's the most important real estate on the ice and so you'd go in there and you get man you get knocked in the nose and punched in the face and a stick comes up and but that's where the goals are you're not beating the guys from 30 feet very often anymore unless you can shoot it like Ovi or or Austin Matthews like yeah you're not look where look where Brady Kachuk scores his goals He's not going to score 35 foot goals. His dad made a career out of getting his big ass right in front of the net and fighting to get in there. That's where the goals are. And it grinds my gears when guys don't do that. Well, right. 
imagine you playing in today's game now with the leeway that you forwards get. Like you can't, like my last couple of years, I still remember those last two years in Dallas, they were starting to crack down on it more. You can't really do a whole lot at net for it anymore. Whereas back in the day, like 90s, yeah. late 80s, uh, mid 90s, you could just lean on players all you wanted as a D-man and make it miserable for you guys. But now, I mean, they can have their way and it's like no, no one's really contesting it anymore. The, so, for example, if you were playing back then, you could stand in front of the net and cross-check the forward Oh yeah, pretty much as many times as you want. So... <laughs> I'd try and get in there. And so like, I couldn't stand in there and stay there. You had to get in and get out because the guys yeah. were too big. So you'd yeah. be in front of the net and Darian Hatcher, for example, he's 200 and whatever pounds, he's six foot five. He'd be cross-checking you. And after about the third one, the ref would yell from the corner, that's enough. And you're like, that's enough now. Like <laughs> 15 seconds ago when he, we all used to have, I don't even know if the guys use them anymore. We had, like uh, I had stitched onto the base of my shoulder pads. Uh, yeah. Basically like rib protectors because you'd get in there and it would just be like cross check cross. And I was little, so they were coming down. It hurt. But if I was going to score, damn, that's where, that's where you had to go. That's where the money was made. Yeah. Yeah. They guys, some players still rock those. Not a lot, but, but few, I have seen it where they have like an extension at the bottom that rib area and it kind of protects yeah. your kidneys and those sides. Yeah. Cause yeah. you guys They're were the, always good at it too. You could find, you'd kind of, I don't think you yeah, were aiming, right, right in go, underneath, right there. Boom. Right over the pants. And yeah, you're like, yeah, can't, God, that hurts. Can't that do it hurts. anymore. <laughs> uh, did, by the way, did you at 1,258 games, 18 years, did you want to retire at the end or were you hoping still to play? Um, you, you know what? My knees were telling me it was time. Um, I actually, uh, just over a year ago, I got a, my left knee, I got a full knee replacement. Um, oh, wow. I was just like, it, it just wasn't happening anymore. I, there's a great line from Larry Murphy, the hall of fame defenseman. He said that, um, it used to be four strides or two strides from the dot to the corner. And then he saw himself on video and it was four. And he was like, you know what? It's time to go. So there was a couple things going on for me. My health was one, uh, two was I had, uh, I had just gotten divorced and, uh, my ex-wife was, uh, moving to Vancouver with our boys. And I was like, you know what? I, I can't go somewhere for one year. I, you know, I, I kind of had my time and, uh, I would have liked to play, man. I loved it. I mm. no math. I, I don't know. You, you must miss some of it. I just missed being around. I miss the competition, Same. you know? Yep. But there just became, for you too, there became a time you're just like your body says, can't do it anymore. And it, and it was time. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt gets to work with me now. Like, it's not all terrible. What a bonus. Talk about <laughs> opposite end of the spectrum, right? Like, really enjoying my life to borderline hating it. So, yeah, here and, we are. And just think, okay. though, the, the best part about the pandemic here is you can do it remotely. Yeah, true. Otherwise, true. So I don't have, have to, to share the same room, room with Wally. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming over next week to set it up. I wanted, to, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask Ray a question. Ray, you said you, so you just had a full knee replacement? Yes. Uh, like how long ago are we talking? Uh, last, last September. 24th. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And so how's the recovery, how's the recovery then? Like, can you still do anything on it? I'm just curious. Cause yeah. you're a young athletic guy. Like, you know what I mean? You don't usually running's no good guys running, running's no good. Uh, yeah. not yet. I, I hope. Could you run if to... you wanted to? Could you, yeah. could you like, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's just not. Okay. It's not the right thing. Um, yeah. I got to the point where I'd play, like I love golf. I play a lot. 
I get to yep. like at our course, the, the 15th hole is a dog leg, right. And it's uphill. And as soon as I'd walk up that hill every round, I'm like, I might have to stop today. Oh, wow. And I, and I'm like, you know what? I, I, I love to do this too much. So I, I went and got, you know, I got a couple of doctors to look at it and they're like, surgically, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing there. It's, it, you know, arthritic is, or you got arthritic changes <sighs> all the way through there. So I go get the, the knee replaced, which by the way, is like, it's literally a hinge that's in there. Like I saw the part and I'm like, I, I, I was less enthused. I thought it was going to be more <laughs> complicated. Looking. Yeah. Like more. It's, yeah. It's just like a ball and it just goes yep. like, you know, goes up and yep. down. So a- after about six months though, honestly, I was like, why did I do this? Like I'm no better. It took, it took me longer than I thought it was going to take. And, okay. but the doc, the surgeon kept saying it's a year, it's a year. And I'm telling you, like, Within a couple of weeks of that year time, I went, oh my God, I don't feel it anymore. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So it, it was really, it, it took a, it took some time, but it, I was, I'm happy now that I got it done for good, sure. Good, good. Can you bike or, sorry, I know yes. I'm only asking because oh, yeah. I'm dealing with this now and at some point I'll have to get it done, right? So that's Yeah, you curious. know what? You can bike. I left um, just the uh, going downhill. Yeah. You have, uh, I'm not quite there yet. And, yep. and as you get older, the last thing you want to do is the training to get stronger. I, I work out so I don't get fat. Yeah. And, it's just and, maintaining, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I always say to Cammy, I'm like, I'm going to go do my workout such as it is, yeah. you know, but you downhill is a problem because you have to strengthen your hamstrings to hold your knee. Mm-hmm. But the, the pain goes away. Like after the initial part, the pain goes away. Um, I'm functional to do things I could never do. I was coming, for example, I was coming down the stairs and I'd always have to come sideways. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't step straight forward anymore. And then one day I came down the stairs and I was like, I got to the bottom and I was like, Whoa, I walked straight down the stairs. I just forgot. That's great. And it was, it was amazing to to do that. Cool. Right on. Go ahead. Wally. Uh, sorry, man. I just, I, this, this is, I'm just pre-planning all my stuff here. We yeah. <laughs> you, you know what? Maybe call him after the show and have a chat. Yeah, you. maybe I'll do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, speaking of injuries, you played two stints in the AHL. One was in Binghamton, which we all know here is in Ottawa. It used to be the farm team of the Binghamton yep. Senators, but you played for the Whalers. The other one is you played one game for the Capital District Islanders, which I think was a team that existed for one year in Troy, New York. There's a whole lot around it. But uh, A, do you have a jersey from the Capital District Islanders? And B, why did you play one game? <laughs> I do not because I wanted to get in and out of there as fast as I could. Um, I, so the game was in Springfield. And um, uh, I, I broke my leg in late November of 1992. I got shoved into the boards on a breakaway in Chicago Stadium. I broke my leg and dislocated my ankle. Uh, actually funny part, well, not funny. Uh-huh. Uh, so back in the day, they, you know, the stadiums weren't the same as they are now. So they came, they got, you know, put me on the stretcher and you, they wheeled you out into the concourse where the ambulances are. And I was being wheeled out. Like there was people everywhere, guys walking <laughs> by with a beer and a pizza and they were doing their thing. So I have surgery. They fixed my, you know, fix the broken leg and the dislocated ankle 
three months later, I'm ready to play. And so the Islanders want me to go play a couple of games in the American League with Capital District. And they were, so the first one was in Springfield. I go down there, I get to the rink and I'm like, wow, I haven't been in a rink like this in a long time. And so the game starts and it is mayhem. Like there's all these young kids that are running all over the place. And I'm like, I haven't played in three months. I'm like, I'm going to get killed. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to get, and the fans, I, I'm starting the game. So I take my helmet off and these fans are giving it to me. You suck. Look where your career is. And <laughs> I, I wanted to yell back. I'm only here for today, but you know, you can't, you know, what's going to yeah. happen. So after the game, I'm mm. like, I can't do this again. Like, so I drive back to long Island. The Islanders play a home game the next day and I walk in the room and Al Arbor's the legendary Al Arbor, my favorite coach, just a great man says, what the hell are you doing here? And I said, Al, I called myself back up. I, I can't do that again. He goes, well, you better not suck. <laughs> and then I started to play with the Islanders and I sucked. Because, you know, three months is a long time. I'm going yeah. north and the puck's going south. So yeah. I play three games. Now there's three games left before the playoffs. And we have a home game and then a road game the next day. So I'm in the stick room getting my sticks ready for the road game. And I hear Al say to the trainer, uh, go get me the seagull, which is what he called me. He said, if I wasn't squawking, I was shitting. And so he says, go get me the seagull. So I'm like, oh my God, he's not happy. So I go hide. So maybe Al will calm down. And uh, trainer finds me. He's like, hey, uh, Ray, um, you know, Al wants to see us. I'm like, oh, great. So I go in there. I get like a foot inside the door. And he says, uh, Seagull, you got three games to get going or you'll be sitting with Claire. Now, Claire was his wife. And he says, and she's been in the same damn seats for 22 years. <laughs> and so I'm standing there and I'm like, uh, I don't even really know what to say. And he goes, well, do you have anything else? And I go, no. And then I left. The oh cool God. part about it was Al was pissed at me for not being ready. The playoffs were coming up and he was saying, look, you got three games. If you can't get your game in order, I'm going to have to use somebody else, but I want you, this is what I took out of it. I want you to play. You got three games to get going. Well, I scored a goal one game. I scored a goal two games later. Then I got 13 goals and 18 games in the playoffs, but Al gave me the chance to be successful, mm. but he delivered it in a way that I still laugh at to this day. <laughs> I grew up an Islander fan, by the way, from the 80s. I named all my oh, stuffed yeah. animals after the Islanders. My big blue dog was Billy Smith. Oh, was he mean? Yeah. Because yeah. Smitty, you were not hanging around the crease when Smitty was there. No. <laughs> That's why I used to have a black go, uh, coho goalie stick was for Billy Smith. And I used to just kind of swing it every once in a while. And someone would come through my crease. And I'm like, I don't know, whatever I am, 10 and 11. Um, but I loved, <laughs> I loved Billy Smith and the attitude he always brought. Like, Man, he seems pretty what a great gentle team. now. Yo, yes. Man. Now, if, if when you guys have you guys had noodles on? Yes. Oh yeah. Did he tell you the story about when he beat up the mascot? No. I want to. I can't remember. Now. I don't think he did. Oh, did he? you you got to get him to tell you that story, <laughs> even if it's a drop in, because Billy Smith plays a a part in that. No, <laughs> noodles ended up beating up a mascot during a game, and it's on <laughs> Billy Smith. Oh my god. Well, how do we? How did he not share this with us? This is incredible. I don't know. This this is going to be good at some point. Um, yeah, I'm going to write that, that down. You talked about those 18 playoff games. Uh, that was, I think, that you got to the Eastern Conference final, lost to Montreal. Right. 
you were on fire. Uh, did that one sting the most? You never got to play in a cup final, which obviously yeah. is tough for anybody. Did that one, I guess, sting the most? You got that close? Yeah, you know, it was so unexpected. Like our, our team made the playoffs on the last day of the season. Um, and the way the games played out, we missed Pittsburgh and we got Washington. Pittsburgh had won 17 straight games coming into the playoffs. So we're like, this will be great to make it. Geez, we don't want to play those guys. Hmm. Right. So we played at night in Washington, the first game of the playoffs. Jersey played in the afternoon in Pittsburgh. I think they lost eight two, and we were going to the ring going, that could have been us <laughs> like that. They like, they're too good. So yeah. we end up beating Washington. Now we play Pittsburgh. Honestly, guys, there's no way we should have been in the series and we beat them in game seven in overtime in Pittsburgh. So now yeah. you're starting to believe that you've got a chance. Here's the thing. You win two rounds, you're halfway home. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you think you're way closer. But you still have to win eight games. We lost two games in overtime to Montreal. Our team was like we had given everything we had to that point. We were out of gas. And it mm -hmm. was Montreal year. Like, I think the Canadians won 10 overtime games that year. Like, how is that even possible? How do you yeah. win 10? You only do that if it's your time. Yeah. And so we got to the semis. And then you think, you know what? We're not that far. We could do it again next year. Nope. It yeah, just it never wasn't. seems to work that way, does it? No, no. Well, you guys in Ottawa, same thing. Like, yep. you, you know, you, same thing. you think you're close. They, yep. And I think the one example would be the, you think you're close. You need one or two parts. They trade Zabanajad for Brassard. And because you think you're close and you can't wait for Zabanajad to get to what he is now. Yeah. But you weren't that close. But when you're in it, you think you are. You think you are. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> and the, to and the good teams, the teams that do it year after year, man, I got a lot of respect for them because yeah. it's so hard. So oh. hard. Big time. It, 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 no question it isn't. So, um, the last question I guess I have on your hockey career, I, I want to get to your broadcast career. And then of course, maybe some travel stories. Uh, you seem to create a little bit of controversy, yeah. I guess, when you travel or I don't know, are you going to write a book by the way, on your travel experiences? I, I should, it, it, I, the travel stuff, honestly, I, I, it happens and I'm like, I can't even believe it's me. That's like this, this organizer disheveled. I think I'm really organized. <laughs> but clearly I'm not like, clearly I'm not. It's that could be that, that honestly could be a standalone right there. And what's interesting, cause I've, I've watched you work for a number of years. And when I can remember is uh, 2019 world championships were in Slovakia. You are in your room for hours at a day, right? You're studying like crazy. Your prep yeah. work is second to none. And so I always laugh. I'm like, how can he be like, he knows everything about the Italian men's hockey team. You can't find gate four. It is. A, it, it's. It, it's not even an exaggeration. It's a. It's stunning how bad I am at this stuff. Like when Gord will. I don't know if he told you guys. One time I hadn't done my expenses from October to December, mainly because I keep putting it off because I don't really know how to do it. So we we're on a train in northern Finland. It is so dark. It's like we're the only people on the train except for this other couple over on the other aisle. 
and we're doing my expenses. Gord's showing me how to use a scanner to download every, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got a folder full of receipts with no dates on them. He's like, what are you doing? The answer <laughs> is I don't know, but, but that's, that's why poor Gord gets a few free meals a year because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I think that's fair. I, you and Rob Black are the two worst I've heard about receipts. And I, and for those who don't know, TSM, I like, like to think, you to do it every month. Yes. I like to think I'm better than the stories of Rod. <laughs> Apparently Rod was just, you know, who else is no good at this? Chris Cuthbert. Yes. Mm. Yes. All of you geniuses are terrible at paperwork. I laugh at CC because he's worse than me, which is makes me feel somewhat empowered. I think. Have you ever spilled a water bottle on his notes or is it just him spilling his own water? He's notorious by the way, for people who don't know, he leaves for whatever reason, the cap off the water bottle on the, in the booth, on his notes and will likely spill it once every three games. Yes. But he leaves the cap off because he has to take a sip during the play and he doesn't want to unscrew it. However, it's a minefield because <laughs> as you talk, he moves his arms. Yeah. Around. Hands are everywhere. Yeah. And so when the, when the water has come across my notes, he always, he always goes, Oh, sorry, sir. Sorry about that. <laughs> and your notes are like child crayon. It's like, yeah. you can't even read any of it. And so like, <laughs> what are you going to do? It's so good. Uh, last question I wanted to ask you about your playing career. Who's your favorite player you play? And this may not be fair. Who's your, like your favorite player you've played with? Uh, Cause I know you basically know everybody in the national hockey league. Uh, played with, um, uh, well, for various reasons, you know, it's not always the best player. Right. Um, you know, it's just uh, my favorite all-time teammate is Andrew Burnett. Um, played for three years with him in Atlanta. Um one of the most underrated, funny people on the planet. I'll give you one example of this. Um, we're in, we're playing in Atlanta. We're playing in Phoenix. We're getting shut out. Kurt Fraser's our coach. He has a total disdain to be shut out because we're no good. And we've been shut out a few times. So he calls a timeout, draws up this play. As we're going out, to, now it's two nothing. There's like a minute and a bit left. We're going out for the face-off in the Phoenix end. And I'm getting ready to go in the draw, and Bruno goes, Razor. And so I go over. I think he's going to tell me something about the play. And he goes, chip it in the corner, and I'll fall on it. That way, nothing bad can happen. I am doubled over because we've got – we're minus 30 already on the season. So yeah. what do you think happens? I lose the face-off, clean as a whistle. <laughs> D to D, the guy shoots it in the empty net, and we get another minus <laughs> – but he was one of my all-time, all-time favorite teammates. Steve Thomas would be another funny, uh, tough, um, beat the hell out of me when he was in Toronto. I was with the Whalers. I thought, we're the same size. He wanted to fight. I'll fight him. And then halfway through the fight, I realized he's a middleweight champ of the world. He just pummeled me. <laughs> it was not even close. <laughs> but he, he, would, he would be another one for sure. Uh, did you feel forgotten as a team in Atlanta? What was it like to play for the Thrashers? Just, you know what, N not on the radar. Um, uh, about the, I'm going to say about the fifth or sixth sport there. Yeah. Uh, because college football, like you, if you've never lived in a college football city, you can't even understand the mm -hmm. magnitude of what that is. But one of the first weeks we're there, we went, we were, I was going to take the kids to a high school football game. 
So the game's at seven o'clock. We drive down at 6.30. Yeah, good one. There's 5,000 people there. The stands are full. If you don't have tickets, you're not getting in. That's high school football. So crazy. Go, you know, like, so it was the Braves, the Hawks, uh, Georgia Tech, Georgia, high school football. Oh, yeah. And then there's this new hockey team. And so, like, we, and if you're going to draw fans, you have to be decent. We won 14 games the first year. Like, we were, yeah. Which I always say is not bad, except there was 82 games. You know, like we, we lost. We lost, I think, like 60 games. It was yeah, unbelievable. If you didn't laugh, you would have cried. We had so much fun on that team because we were so bad. Uh, we didn't sorry, win you for still... seven, 17 games in a row. But I heard, Ray, I heard it's a great, I heard it was a great place to live. Like I played against Atlanta a couple of yep. times. That's when Evander Kane was there right before they yep. moved back, obviously. Um, I always heard the same thing. The real estate was very affordable. You could buy a yep. beautiful home there and yep. the guys loved it. It was just not a ton of fan support. Yeah, it was, it's a, it's a terrific place to live. It's not a very easy place to get around. Like traffic ah. wise, it's really difficult, but a lot of that would have all been solved had like you wouldn't have minded the traffic if we were good yeah right people would have gone to the games they would have but why are you going to fight traffic to go watch a team lose again exactly yeah and good point and that's just the way that that's where we were you know at that time hmm. uh a couple of things about being back in broadcasting one is uh one of my favorite stories of you all time and i mean this is, is you got to interview your son landon mm. playing in the national hockey league and I've never actually had a chance to actually talk to you about it. And, and I think of it now because perhaps Brian Boucher will get a chance with Tyler Boucher for the yeah. first round pick of the Senators. So uh, what was that like for you? And I, cause I used to know you would watch on an iPad in the booth uh, mm. or in between the bench, if Landon was playing somewhere else. And I totally understand yeah. that. So yeah. could you focus on that game? Okay. So the first game I did was about three weeks before Landon was with Detroit. So I'm, I'm sitting there and like, he's warming up. I mean, he's standing like three feet from me. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so unbelievable. So he, the game starts, he's on the bench. Like I, I could literally reach over and pat him on the back and his first shift, he gets hit in the corner. Second shift gets hit in the corner and he comes away and I'm like, geez, he doesn't look right. Turned out he got hit knee on knee and he had a, like a strained meniscus. He, his night was done in two shifts. I just, I, I did the game underwater. I just felt terrible, right? Mm. So he comes back. Now he's on waivers um, because he's going to be, uh, you know, they've got some guys back, Patrick Eves and was one. So he goes on waivers, gets picked up by the Bruins. I'm talking to him and he's like, yeah, I got to jump in it. They've got a car to take me to Toronto. I'm like, Landon, I'm doing the game in Toronto. Like we hadn't even put it together yet. So now three weeks later, I'm doing this game. So now he's in Boston and, you know, I'm like, I'm so happy for him. Right. Proud. And so he does the plays first period halfway through the second period. Our producer, Chris Edwards says in my ear, uh, we just requested uh, Landon for second period interview. And I'm like, don't do that. And he's like, <laughs> I mean, he's new and he's like, yeah, too late. We already got him in and he's going to come to you on the bench. I'm like, Oh man. And they're like, we think it'll be good. And, so Landon comes off the ice. I see him go, you know, the visitor's side there, Mark, like over on that yep. side. And I yep. see him go off and the PR guy stops. And I see him say, 
a TSN interview. And so Landon goes, yeah, okay. And he points to where I'm standing. So Landon turns and he has this look on his face, like what the f- is going on? <laughs> and so I give him like, you know, like get over here. Like, you know, like they got the <laughs> yeah. camera, you like, you got to go. So I, I, so however you start an interview, I, I was like, my brain was spinning. And I just, I think I said something like, well, this is odd. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, I'm, it's like we sat at the dinner table a hundred times yeah. doing pretending about this or thinking like, I always told him if I interviewed him, my last statement was going to be, did you clean your room? But I thought like, ah, I shouldn't do that. And so anyways, it was, it was so cool. It was so fun. And, you know, uh, that is something we'll always be able to look at and, and go, you know what, that was, that was really a cool thing. Yeah. I, I hope Bush gets to things. do it. I, I, yeah. I hope he gets to do it because, you know, Louis DeBras got to do it with Jake and, you can't, you think you know what it's going to be like. And then your son's there in an NHL Jersey and he's playing and you're like, man, this is just, I'm so proud. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was so great. Yeah. Cause so would you, can you, is that one moment that almost eclipse your entire 18 year career, right? Just to see yeah. your kid do that. You know what? When you see your son, your kids do something and be successful at it it trumps everything that yeah. you've done. Mm. I mean, for, I, I had an, you know, I had an awesome run. I just loved it. Like I, I dreamed of playing in the NHL, like literally every day of my life. And then all of a sudden I was there and watching Landon do it was better than all of that. Wow. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, now you're back on ESPN where you started. Does it feel almost, and you're still doing TSM for those people who don't know you're doing the Leafs world juniors. Are you still doing world championships or is that out? Uh, worlds are out. Um, okay. I'll be doing playoffs then. Okay. So now you're, but you're back. Uh, does it feel like it's everything's new again? Kind of thing. It does. Um, it feels strange. It feels um, like your senses are sparked a bit because it's, yeah. it's just a little different in six or seven different ways, just enough to go. Yeah. This isn't the usual thing that we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly, you know, I'm not working with, you know, with Gord. Um, I, I was thinking the other day, I bet you I've done, man, over a thousand games with Gord. Yeah. Now it, oh, it must sure. be, I mean, we do a hundred a year by the yeah. time we do the world juniors and the world championships and the 50 games that we do for TSN. Maybe it's not a thousand, maybe it's, I don't know, 700, but I, I know when Gord's going to lay out. I know he knows when I'm going to babble away at something too long. He knows that. And so yeah. like, it just, it's so comfortable now. Like I've worked two games with Sean McDonough and I worked the other day with Steve Levy and it's totally different, but it's invigorating and it's really cool. And I'm going to work, you know, I'm going to get to work. Sorry, Mark. I'm going to get to work the Stanley cup final this year. And that's, that's really cool. I've wanted to do that. And that, that must take time to pick up on cues. Like, like, you know, you're talking about Gord there for a second. How long does that take? to develop that kind of chemistry. Obviously it takes a while, but I'm assuming, yeah. you know, you're working with some pros right now as well. They're really good in yep. their craft. Like, does that take time to get that familiarity yes. there to pick up on each other's cues? Yeah. Yeah. Dozens of games for sure. Yeah. Because, you know, he might, um, he might have, uh, you know, he being whomever your play by play partner is would have a, sometimes they take a pause, but it's just to let it breathe. Sometimes right. they're taking a pause so you can jump in. And until you do it a few dozen 
20 times, you can't tell that apart. Yeah. And, and now like I can tell when, and, and it's also going to be a little bit easier right now at ESPN. I'm beside the play-by-play guy. The play-by-play guy at TSN, I'm downstairs. Yeah, so you're way up above, like, yeah. you know, so like when, when Sean or Steve is going to take a break, they just look and I'm mm. like, yeah, I, I got it. Well, with Gord, it, it has to be through feel. And every once in a while you kind of step on each other's toes a bit, but yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. So like, has that happened? So yeah, has it happened? It sucks. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. And you know what else sucks <laughs> is when, when you, when I think I've got a chance to jump in, and somebody throws like it's a scrum on the boards and like nothing's happening. And so I think there's time to say something. And then all of a sudden the guy throws it from the boards, hits a guy's skate and goes in the net. And I'm talking like that's that pisses you off. Cause it should not happen, but mm. it just did. Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta go. <laughs> Oops. That know, happened like, to me. Yeah. Brutal. Right? Isn't it? We- you come back from break and you're like, okay, you got 20 seconds off the face off to say something smart and intelligent. And then all of a sudden the play starts early. And I happened in Dallas. I'll never forget. And Gord's patiently waiting for me to shut up. And I'm telling some eloquent story of however this kid was born and somehow some small town, right? boom in the net. And I'm, I'm about mid sentence to say whatever is about to the cliche or the climax of this whole entire story. And I'm like, uh, Gord, yeah, <laughs> Gord, clean call. that mess up. Would you clean that <laughs> yeah. mess up? He was, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Gord. And you can it, see it. it the... Yeah. Oh, you, you. I, I describe it as this: is that oftentimes that you're, you're, you've got something to say, and you're looking for the off ramp, like when you're driving. Yeah. You, you know, you have to exit, and you see the off ramp, but the traffic's not letting you get off, and pretty soon. Now you're by the off ramp and you just hope something good is ahead of you. Like I'm mm-hmm. hoping there's another off ramp. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm telling myself, honestly, I'm saying, shut up, stop. And I'm like, but I got to finish the sentence and you're, and then right. the goalie makes a save and you're like, oh, thank God. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> don't oh, yeah. burp up a stinky one there. Like, man, make the save. Uh, I told yeah. I told you we wouldn't keep you long, and I apologize. I need to ask about how Cammy's doing. Uh, your wife, who's a head uh, pro scout with the Seattle Kraken, is having mm-hmm. a phenomenal time. I'm assuming, and so much cool things going on. Uh, I, I don't even know how much you two see each other, but what's it been like for her? It's been uh, well. First of all, for us, it's we are now like the scheduling part is almost yeah. the most crucial thing that we do. It's like I got to figure out when she's in town, when she's out of town, when she's got games, like. For example, she'll be going, the Canucks have their home opener tonight. She's going to the game. Well, that means I got to be here. And also me, the kids love it because when she goes to the game, cause it's DoorDash, you know, it's like, there's no, there's not <laughs> yeah, much cooking. <laughs> They're so pumped. Hey dad, can we get, and the answer is yes. Yes. Because yeah. I can't. Yes. Cook. Every time. I suck. <laughs> so she, she had, we were both down at the home opener, right? Uh, on Saturday in Seattle, which by the way, guys, not even by any exaggeration, it is the greatest sports facility I have ever been in. Really? It is that's, amazing. That's amazing. Amazing. Okay. It is, first of all, the, the seats there, they had to build it under that roof because yep. it was a heritage site. So the seats are at such a steep pitch everybody feels like they're right over top of the rink. Um, did you ever play in key arena, Mark? No, but, but I just thinking of the old forum when my dad used to take me there, how yeah. steep it was up top. 
exactly. Unbelievable. It was terrifying. Yeah. So the roof is there. You can see like there's this windows at one end and it's on street level. That's where mm. the rink used to be. Well, the rink is now 50 feet below that. And you just look at it and you go, well, how did the other rink fit in here? Mm. And the facilities are amazing. Like, okay, for example, you want to go buy a beer um, at anywhere, any other rink. You walk in, you got to, you get in line, show your ID, you get the beer, it takes you five minutes, seven minutes, you get back yep. to your seat. Doesn't happen in Seattle. Put your credit card in the door as you, like in the entrance to the food area, you have your thumbprint. So they take your, cause for your ID, you walk in, it's grab and go. You just grab it and walk out, charge wow. your card. You go to get food. You are, their goal is that you can get food and get back to your seat and not miss a face off. You, you walk in, you hold your phone in your hand over your head. You go through the scanner, scans everything else to make sure you don't have stuff you shouldn't have going sure. in. Right in front of you is the scanner. You turn your phone around, you scan your ticket, you're in. There's oh, no line. See, like, and that only, makes the, the experience only... so much better, right? Like that's what they needed. Yeah. Obviously they need that a lot of places, but that's yeah. been an issue here in Ottawa, right? Like lately, yeah. especially the concessions, yeah. people have been bitching about that. So yeah. I mean, and so it's, it's all technology now that's being developed. So now yeah. of course, we're going to have to show vaccination status to get in. So yeah. that vax card that we'll all eventually sort of kind of have, I guess, whenever the federal government gets on it is you'll show your vax card. You'll show your ticket. They'll be connected, however, and then you're in. Yeah, they, that's huge. Like, because just think those poor people that are, that are having to do that on the way in. Oh man, they're, you know, everybody's fumbling around with their phones and you got to show you. It takes forever. Yeah. 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 And it sucks. It's okay now. Just imagine that in January. I know. And you're oh, out there point. with your kids and you're like, man, people aren't going to go because they're like, I freeze my ass off just yeah. to get into the building. Yeah, in in Seattle, like in Seattle, in November, it's going to pour rain for four months, and those people are not going to wait to get in. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, you know what the the new building that's opening up in uh, Brooklyn, or no, I'm sorry, not in Brooklyn, in Belmont, the New York Islanders, yep. built by yep. the same group, Oak Valley Oak Valley Group. Um, it's going to be the same thing. Wow, everything that's it's awesome. good. It's so cool. So mm. back to Cami, scouting. She's just completing a children's book, uh, which is, I'm so proud of. It's so awesome. Um, it's going to be ready to go very quickly. Um, she's an amazing mom. Uh, super busy. The cool part is for 10 years, she put her career on the back burner to be mom. That was, that was first and foremost. She decided, okay, I think I'm ready to maybe see what there is in the hockey world. I think she was surprised how ready the hockey world was for her to come back. Mm. And it's really cool to see because she's been a trailblazer her whole life. It's just her life, but she's been a trailblazer and she's doing it again. And she does it with grace and class. And uh, I mean, I don't know what the hell she thought here, but <laughs> you know, that this was a decent idea, but uh, yeah, just, it, I'm, I'm really happy for her. She's a saint, right? She's a saint. She, uh, there will be a medal somewhere along the line. I w and this, I'm going to leave you with this on that, on about Cam. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, Oh my God, you're married to Cammy. She's so nice. She's so sweet. She's this, she's that amazing. Nobody has said that to her. 
<laughs> Nobody. Seventeen. What does years. that tell you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The picture becomes pretty clear, man. It's yeah. clear. Uh, a couple questions, if I can, I, and if you need to run, just let me know. But I want to ask you about Ottawa and what you think about this team uh, through its rebuild mm. and where you see it currently at. I see a lot of the Hartford Whalers in the Ottawa Senators, and people might laugh at that. We had a phenomenal team in Hartford, and it had to be brought to the ground floor. Um, and then all these kids showed up in Hartford at the same time. Ron Francis, Ulf Samuelson, Kevin Deneen, Dean Evason, Paul McDermott, Brad Shaw, myself. All of a sudden, we were all 21, 22 years old. We, hmm. we came to overtime in game seven against Montreal in 1986. They won the Stanley Cup. A couple of years later, ownership changed and they decided we don't want to wait for these young guys anymore. What I'm telling you is you've got to wait for the young guys because yeah. like, Shane Pinto is going to look great and then he's going to flatten out. Mm. But you can't lose patience because he's a terrific player. you got to wait yep. for that flat spot to be an upswing again. Mm-hmm. But I see talent and skill and speed. The goaltending is the one place that I look at and go, like, do one of those young guys jump up and grab the deal? Because if they do, they've got so many prospects, that's going to bubble into something really great. So when I say I see the Hartford Whalers, that means I see I see a really great road in front of the Senators. I really do. Uh, can you talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, it, would you? I was going to ask him that too. I I have to know Ray's angle on on the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Okay. So I talked earlier about goal scoring and, and getting into the middle of the ice. And so the Leafs have a bunch of advanced stats that look really good. They have possession of the puck a lot. Uh, They complete more passes. Their skill is obvious until they can figure out how to get inside the game, not for a little bit, but to get in there and stay in there, they're not going to be successful. And to think like one of the, one of the greatest misnomers is, man, we want to dominate a game for 60 minutes. You'd never do that. That never happens. It's, it's the other team's trying really hard too. And they're going to have portions of the game where they outplay you. That just happens. But the least don't have shift after shift control of the game like they need to have. And, and like, even last night they lose, um, you know, well, first of all, they get pumped in Pittsburgh. That means they were just outworked by an American Hockey League team. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Hey, like sometimes, Mark, like, you know, like you don't have to be the best player. Mm-hmm. Helps if you've got lots of the best players, but you've got to mm-hmm. at least match the commitment, the work ethic, the absolutely the desire on a 50-50 puck that even if you lose it, you're going to get it back. Somehow you're going to get it back. Yep. Well, they they get the crap kicked out of them in Pittsburgh a couple nights after losing to San Jose, who was playing on back-to-back nights. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Hutchison, there's always a reason. You know, Hutchison didn't play well that game. Yeah, but still, you know, you should be good enough to beat San Jose in that spot. They get yeah. their, their rear ends kicked in in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Now they they play last night. Carolina's a good team, but Carolina gets to the inside of the ice. Yep. And they stay there and they fight for their position. And yep. Toronto just, I, I mean, it was better, sure. But better is relative. 
Yeah. And Ray, when you say that just briefly, because I know, again, we're holding here for a long time. When you say getting to the inside for people listening, you mean like getting into those harder areas that people don't necessarily always want to go to, like we talked about earlier? Yep. Is that kind of what you're getting to? Yeah. So, so what I look at is like, so they've got the puck, they've got control of the puck, they enter on the zone and they've yep. got control. The guy ends up behind the net. Now he's circling behind the net. He's got the puck. That's great. The other five guys are still defenders are just standing in the middle of the ice. Mm. They're going to let you skate around. Great. You got possession all the time. There has yep. to be a given goal, close, close support that's inside the defender. And you go there and maybe nothing happens right away, but now you grind it back in the corner and you use your, you know, your, your skill in a tight spot, but now you're on the inside of the battle. Yeah. And eventually somebody takes a penalty. Somebody gets beat out of position. Um, and now you can, I can see anyway, I made a living on the power play. They're, they're in total panic mode on the power play. It's now one guy trying to rush the puck into the zone. Everybody's talking about, oh, Marner in the bumper position. Hell, they can't even get to that. Exactly. They don't get in they're the not zone. even setting up. Yeah. So they, it's, it's funny. There's this fine line between relaxation. You know, you got to relax to play well, but you've got to grind. There is mm -hmm. no there is no substitute for the grind. And, and I'll say this about like, you know, to, to use a best player example, the best grinder in the history of the game is Sidney Crosby. Mm. He plays on the inside of the game. Yeah. He's relentless. Time. I agree. Right? And, and yeah. like you're playing against him, and you're like, go away. Yeah. He doesn't have the puck. Just keeps coming back and he wants yeah. it back. And you can't say, Oh, they got the puck. I'm going to, I'm going to track back. No, get it back. Fight for yeah. it. And if Toronto can find that, they've got plenty of talent. If they can't find that, they're going to have stretches where they kick the crap out of teams that aren't as good as them. And then they're going to struggle against the teams that'll do that more than them. Uh, last question. I asked this to Gord the other day. What would be his final game he'd like to call before he retired? And I'm not retiring you, but do you have like, what would be your favorite final game? Would it be to work alongside mm -hmm. Gord at a world junior or the Stanley cup final, or does it really matter? Uh, I, I haven't, you know what? I don't have a thought of that. Um, a Stanley cup final. Sure. But, but here's the thing. Um, you're asking me today. Um, Gord has become a great friend, like not just a coworker, but somebody I can rely on. Uh, somebody I know is always prepared, somebody who does an amazing job. And so if we get to do this for 10 more years, yeah, I'd like it to be a gold medal game at the world junior and it to be a crazy junior six, five wild game. Like we've had before, that would be a great way to go out. But if it's not, you just want to work with the people that, you know, you just, it's the people it's yeah. honestly like we should know this by now, but as you get older, you realize it more. It, no matter what you do, it's just the people you do it with that matters. There is nothing I enjoy more than I'm working a game with Gord because I said I've worked 700 games with him. Chris Edwards is in my ear where there's nothing going on about the game. He's telling me about the Oilers score because he's a big Oilers score, uh, Red, uh, Oilers fan. And then Franklin, our director, something will go wrong. And Franklin just says quietly in my ear, sorry about that cracks me up every time like th that's the stuff i love about my career 
And yeah. I'm getting starting to see that with my ESPN family too. Like yeah. stuff you just laugh about that happens. That's the best. Yeah. I agree. Well, so sir. we're gonna let you go. I the one thing I do get to now. So I saw you on ESPN calling a game, and I was like, "That's Ray." Like I know him. I felt like <laughs> I got. I had the privilege to work alongside you for so many years that I I appreciate uh, what we used to be able to do and work together. So all those times you helped me out, I just it's a thank you. I, I can't say enough how good you've been to me over the years. So uh, much. Thank you, Wally. I'll tell you what I did enjoy. I loved right before you were doing an interview to make mention that your tie didn't match your suit because it would rattle you. And I love, geez, Wally, you're going to wear that tie. Huh. Looks good, I guess. And then the uh, interview uh, would start. I just loved it. I love it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, you guys, your show is awesome. Um, it, it's funny. It's informative. I love it. And uh, hope to come back on again. Thanks, you, Rick. Uh, can come on anytime. I'd like to get Cammy on before you come on again. Uh, but you always have an open invitation. Oh, she will have nothing but positivity about me. I'm sure about it. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Take care, my friend. Okay. Peace, guys. Be well. Yeah, take care. That's Ray Ferraro spending some time with us alongside here at the Wally Mathot Show. will be right back after this. All right. Welcome back to the show. And now welcome once again, Craig, to the show. Uh, Craig, as... Uh, we all talk about now the Sens in Dallas. We've all been to Dallas covering the Sens or at least playing for, and some other one of the individuals has actually been a member of the Dallas Stars. So, Matt, we'll start with you. Uh, do you have a favorite thing about Dallas? The food. The food, the food and the people. Like, Southern hospitality is a real thing. And, like, we would be down at a grocery store with our newborn, for example, and, like, a, you know, a sweet lady would come up and just want to talk to us about our kid. And that, like, and I don't say this lightly, that happened all the time. And never mind the people, the restaurants, there's so much food, great food down there that, like, we would, it, you could eat out at a different restaurant every day for a couple of years and you're always hitting up a new spot. It was, it was mind blowing. So I'll, I think I could go on a long rant of all the stuff yeah. I loved about it. I love the gun ranges. I love shooting guns. I went, listen to this. This is the difference between Canada and the U S or particularly Texas. I went good. to a, I went to a gun range. So my wife had to leave. I was still injured. So I was away from the team. They were on the road. My wife had to run back home because we were in the midst of negotiating or trying to build, buy a new home here. So she had to go check it out. Anyway, I'm like, what am I going to do today? I got nothing to do. I'm like, I'm going to go shoot some guns. So I go to this gun range and I go to the desk and I, I'm very transparent. I'm like, but I have no idea what I'm doing here. Um, he's like, well, what do you want to shoot? I'm like, I'll shoot a handgun. He goes, all right, well, uh, which one do you like? You know, you got the Glock, the Smith and West, uh, uh, the SIG, uh, Smith and Wesson, whatever. There's a bunch of different options. I'm like, I'll shoot the Glock. I know my brother is a police officer. I think the, it's standard issue for a lot of OPS in Ottawa. So I'm like, I'll shoot the Glock. So he's like, okay. Here's your, here's your firearm. You got to hold it upside down. Just sign this paper first, actually. I'm like, oh, okay. So I signed this paper. It doesn't even check anything. And then I grabbed the paper, grabbed my ammunition, grabbed like a target. And I'm walking past all these like gun bays where there's like the big long rifles, the machine guns, and then the, the far bay is the, the handgun. So I go up and this guy just go, this person shows up and goes, do you know what you're doing? I'm like, no. Can you show me how to load it? I have no idea what I'm doing. So he shows me how to load it. He's like, yeah, I'll watch you fire off around. So I fire off, you know, I squeeze off, I don't know, like a full clip. I eject my mag. I turn around and he's gone. I'm like, like looking around thinking like, what? Like you're okay. So turns out you don't need any information. You can just show up. 
grab a firearm, go and shoot it. And no one's supervising you or watching you. Like, I don't have a license at this point. And it was incredible, like the like terrifying, but incredible. But then I thought to myself, I'm like, even if I was some nut job, I would not last 30 seconds here because you've got all these other guys in the other base with these crazy guns and you wouldn't last a minute if you tried some funny stuff, I don't think. But uh, uh, much different and much more lax their laws, at least, than they are up here. So that's a little Dallas story. Uh, did you hit the target? Yeah, I did while you're like 15 feet away from it. Right. So once you get used to the recoil and now I have, I have a, I'm a, I'm a firearms owner now in Canada. I've, I've got my courses under my belt and I own some, so um, it definitely kind of sparked some interest there. Uh, all right. Interesting. Maybe we should go to the Stittsville. Can I go shoot a gun or do I have to? Have I don't know. Basic? So I don't know what the rules are with that. Now I think they've changed them uh, in light of COVID, but I'll find out. Maybe we can head out there with Craig and, We'll get Woody to take some video of us shooting some guns. Pop off. I, when when yeah. I worked at Canadian Tire at 15, I was selling guns. I had no what? Idea. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I used to register guns in this book. Yeah. It's it's fun. If it's done, like I think people need to understand that in Canada, it's very responsible and they're the laws are yeah. crazy. Like they're they're very strict here, and you need a million different documents to get your firearms license. So I will say that people before people pass judgment here, it's yeah. yeah. Our laws here are fantastic and they're very strict. Uh, Craig, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Matt, I was going to ask you actually, what did you know? I mean, you had the luxury of traveling to Dallas prior to getting traded there. Like, what were your expectations when you got traded there? Were you psyched? Like, what oh, were... I was so fired up, so excited. I still remember I was at the keg in Ottawa on Hunt Club Road when mm -hmm. Jim Neal called me. Like, this is about five or whatever days after the expansion draft. And uh, I remember my agent calling me first, I think. I think it was first when he goes, Mark, you know, I think Dallas is somewhat interested. Like, would you be okay with going there? And I'm like, why are you asking me this? Like, yes, call him, let him know. You know, I want to go there. <laughs> because in my mind, you know, it was a first-class organization, mm -hmm. you know, great reputation, really nice, warm place to play, no mm -hmm. state tax. Like, it was, like, in my mind at the time, it was, like, one of the top places to play in the NHL. And, and it was, turned out it was, it was an incredible organization to play for. Like they, they take such good care of the players. Um, you know, there's no, um, you know, anything you want, they'll do for you there. And Jim Nill, probably one of the best GMs in the NHL, like such a people person, like picked us up. My wife and I drove us around the city, showing us different landmarks and places. He didn't have to do that, yeah. but he did that for us when we went down there. So um, yeah, I, I'm a, a huge, huge Dallas star fan. Were you ever there in the off season? Like, cause I was, when I, I've only been to Dallas, I think twice. Yeah. yeah we had to go down there in the middle of the summer to look for how, our house. How was it? Cause I, when we were there for the draft end of June, you, yeah. if you were outside for more than 15 minutes, you'd have to go change. The hottest like, shit. It was 40 yeah. plus degrees. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're like melting oh. out there. And my wife at the time was pregnant and they had us staying at the Crescent uh, hotel downtown there where a lot of the teams stay. And I like, you know, me, I'm like the sun shining. I'm like, oh, well, I want to go to the pool. Like, you want to come? She's like, no, like her belly's out to here, right? With her, with our son. And so she just hibernated in the room most of the time. Cause of course, when you're pregnant and it's 115 Fahrenheit outside, like yeah. you can't do very much. So, but, but other than the heat in the summer, awesome city. Yeah. Brent, you got a, yeah. you got a Dallas story or something you like about Dallas? Oh, you know what, Matt, do you remember, uh, I had to cover uh, actually a cart race in uh, like 99, 1997, I think it was, uh, at Dallas-Fort Worth at the Texas Speedway. Yeah. And they, wherever we were staying is called a dry county. So they didn't serve alcohol. But in the middle of the dry county is a bar. 
So as long okay. as you go to the bar and sign a membership piece of paper, they serve you drinks. So you just Ooh. literally have to give them $5, which they give you a free drink for in order yeah. to sit there. and I'm like, what's the point of the dry county? <laughs> There's a bar in the middle of it. Anyway. Yeah, it's crazy. I do. But, like, but it's, yeah. it's really like, I can't say this enough. Like when you go down there, because Dallas is a metropolis, right? But you can like, there's so much to do. You just mentioned Dallas, Fort Worth. Like Fort Worth is a little like an old Western style preserved town where there's kind of like these saloons and there's cows going up, like longhorns going up and down the streets and there's cowboys everywhere and there's rodeos. And then you can drive west of Dallas, uh, Texas, where you're going into the small towns. Like it's, it's really cool. And there's a lot to see down there. Anyway, I encourage anybody to catch a game, fly down there, do a little touring around. It's a lot of fun. Have you guys been to the the new Cowboys stadium there? I mean, it's not brand new. It's a couple of years old. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Biggest building I've ever been inside. I think like it's insane. And then they have, how cool is that? Like the outside kind of, for post game and stuff like we we hung oh, out yeah. after, we did like a I think it was a Sunday night or something and after the game it just spills out there's bars and it's crazy yeah. all the players showed up too like it was unreal like, unreal yeah. it was yeah, one of the cool great like, jobs yeah and their their facility in Frisco their practice facility is stupid it's right next yeah. to ours in the range I say ours right next to yeah. the Dallas Stars and the Rangers they're all sort of in the same area north of Dallas and uh they have like this outdoor field there. And like, you see, you always see Jerry Jones's helicopter in the middle of the field and he goes back and forth all the time. Like it's, it's, it's a different world. It's, it's a completely different world. I know your checklist. List. I know your checklist of things. How do the taxes rank in, in Dallas? Not so bad. The taxes. Yeah. I know that's oh the thing God. you look at. So not so what bad. A game ch- I mean, if you, you're a complete liar, if you say that it isn't right. Like, yeah. I, you play in Ontario, right? These keys, these keys. Nice that was a nice here. catch though. You can play in Ontario where it's pretty miserable in the winter and it snows a lot. I'm from here. I can say this. And you're paying like whatever it is. 50. I know people don't want to hear an athlete talk about taxes, but you're paying 53% and you go back down there and it's 38. And I don't care what anybody says. That's it's very influential when it comes to finding a landing spot for a team, especially when the organization is currently, you know, getting some success on the ice and they're playing well. Like, how do you, how do you beat that? You know? So Anyway. It's potentially, and I know against numbers, it's, if you have a big contract like Jamie Ben, it's millions of dollars. In yeah. So they like, showed that there was this, there was a statistic on that, right? Where they ranked all the top paying players. And I think Ben was like, Jamie Ben was around like six or seven in the league. But then after taxes, they had him up there at number one. Like it wasn't even close. Oh. He was ahead of Stamkos. Mind you, Stamkos yeah. is also in a no state tax spot, but Jamie Ben was right up there. Like it's, it's a game changer for sure. And when you're talking about millions of dollars a year that you're saving, like, come on. Anyway, I know people don't want to hear that. Uh, I don't want to hear that. Uh, I like hearing that stuff. I don't know. Well, no, like, I mean, I, like, if like, you're yeah. if you're an Ottawa fan and you're yeah. genuinely, you know, embedded oh, here and you're, you know, it's it's demoralizing to listen to a little bit, but it's just the way the league works. It's just reality, though. Like, it's yeah. literally just reality. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, boys. Hey, great job with uh, Ray, with Ray there too. I thought uh, that Ray interview was great. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Pretty cool to hear. So we got uh, we got a little trivia from from uh, the Ray interview. Uh, we were giving away one of these, one of the Gong Show hoodies. Shout out to our friends at Gong Show. They've been the best lately. Uh, some very cool stuff up on their website too. The Wally Mathot collection. Go check it out. Grab yourself a hat. I was at the game the other day, boys. A little incognito action. Oh. Uh, and I I saw a few hats in the wild. I saw some hats, some Wally Mathot hats hit the ice. For Drake Batherson's nice. first career hat trick. So that was pretty cool. So shout out to everybody who's been nice. doing that. If you guys are going to the game and you're wearing the stuff, tweet, 
tag us in a picture. We'd love to see it, man. We'll retweet that stuff instantly. Everybody that's been doing it, I appreciate it. So, hey, here's an opportunity for you to score yourself one of these. Maybe rock that to the game or to your, with your friends or the bar or wherever, uh, if you know the answer to this one, um, which is, which goalie did Ray Ferraro score his last regular season goal on? If you know the answer to this one, head on over to Twitter. Use the hashtag Wally Mathot and tag at Gong Show Gear on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'll reveal the winner on our next show. Former Ottawa Senator. Hmm. Is in that trivia answer. Oh, okay. Mm. That's a good little tip for everybody. I couldn't even guess. I like I, were you asking me, Wally, if I no, no, just... no, no, I never ask you the trivia <laughs> questions. No, you can't even remember the games you played in. Excellent point. I own that. <laughs> Uh, Monday is our next show. It should be live one o'clock. Uh, Kyle yeah. Bukaskas from Sportsnet <laughs> will be joining us as always. Ooh, some good nice. chats with Kyle. So yeah, we uh, we'll see you on Monday. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. This is the Wyoming Thought Show. See you after uh, the weekend. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 